The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Oh, it's good, good morning. It's really nice to be back here. I, I appreciate very much these Tuesday mornings. And to have a rainy Tuesday morning is <laughs> heaven. It's great. I don't have that much prepared for this morning, but I wanted to share a few words about a theme that, um, according to me, at least my understanding, is the kind of central thread that runs through the Dharma. You know, if I had to think about one word that would express this practice. You know, I was thinking about this and um, some people might say mindfulness or awareness or freedom or I don't know, I don't know what, what, what would come up for uh, people. Um, but for me, at least right now in this moment, <laughs> Um, the word non-separation comes to mind. Non-separation. The great Zen teacher Dogen, um, there's, there's a very short poem that's attributed to Dogen. And I often think about it when I'm meditating, uh, while it's raining. And the poem goes something like, um, just listening without extra mind that grasps the jewel-like raindrops dripping from the eaves are myself. Just listening without extra mind that grasps the jewel-like raindrops dripping from the eaves are myself. Um, So right there, it's like this expression of non-separation. Our usual way of being is um, creating separation, creating division through our thinking, you know, through our ego. Um, And that's important. We need that. That's, you know, that's how the world goes around. Um, But to also know this other way of being and 
right in the poem, Dogen is telling us how to enter this, how to enter this mind and heart of non-separation, not being separate. He says, just listening, just hearing. Um, Sometimes the meditation practice we do here is described as bare awareness, bare awareness. It's like nothing extra is added. It's like usually we go through our day with some amount of perception, some amount of awareness, and quite often a lot of commentary, (laughs) a lot of thinking about it, a lot of kind of massaging it in our minds and rolling it around. Do I like this? Do I not like it? What can I do? This, that, you know. So um, we're seeing, we're perceiving through a filter, a filter of our thinking mind, a filter of what we like, what we don't like, um, how we want things to be, um, what we need to do, the kind of planning mind, that, you know, normal. We need all this stuff. But to have a few minutes every day, it's like returning to zero, you know. And to just, as I was saying in the meditation, letting the mind rest on the sensations of breathing, letting the mind rest and just open to um, how things are, how things happen to be. And one of the things we can discover that's a very freeing, very um, enjoyable discovery is that we don't need to change our minds to, to make our minds something we think they need to be. You know, often we come to meditation, we think, my mind is so busy, it's a mess, I'm, I have all these desires and fears and things. And I just meditate and just kind of blank out and get a little peace, you know. And that's one understanding of meditation. But the kind of peace that we get just from blanking out or from silence, you know, complete silence, um, is okay. But how useful will that peace be as we move through our day, as we move through our life, as we interact with people, as we come into conflict, as we just face all the situations. If, we're, if we can only be peaceful when everything is just the way I want it to be, you know, um, I think noise-canceling headphones would work better. And uh, the, up, the blindfold, uh, put some put some wax in our ears and um, darken the room and um, that's okay, you know. But what we, um, if, we st- if we practice that way, we, st- we begin to discover that the problem is not out there. The problem is not with the sounds. The problem is not other people, even though other people are a problem, <laughs> often. <laughs> 
the problem is really in us and in our um, insistence that things be the way we want them to be. You know, a very human, very ordinary um, insistence on that and then shock, utter shock that, you know, a second, this person's not doing what I want them to do. Um, I, I face this dilemma every morning <laughs> as I get my young children ready for school. And, you know, my agenda is I get dressed, they come to the table, they eat their breakfast, in a healthy breakfast in a very cheerful way, quickly. <laughs> and <laughs> they get their, you know, raincoats on and boots and get to the car and then wow we're at school we've relaxed right to school and we're even early we don't even have you know and then that agenda very quickly bumps up against their agenda which is to kind of do whatever they want to do play and um, and what I've found is the more I push against them the more miserable I become. <laughs> and it doesn't seem to make things go that much faster anyway. You know, so um, it doesn't mean I just let them do whatever they want, but it's like finding finding some way to harmonize. Um, and rather than insisting and infighting with the contents of our mind, um, little by little, we learn to um, kind of open to things, open to how, how things are. And when we make this shift, it's like the sound that was irritating or um, the physical sensation that was a little uncomfortable. We find that not only can we tolerate this, can we tolerate our experience, but actually, in the simple willingness to let it be there and to kind of be at peace with it as it's there, it starts to kind of brighten the mind, whatever it is. You know, it's like, it's not, it's like it doesn't matter what the particular contents of our experience are, but to let them be themselves um, each, each noticing, you know, noticing the sound, noticing the breath, noticing the painful memory in the mind. But just in that noticing, that act of, of noticing, of, of awareness, begins to brighten the mind. You know, it begins to polish this jewel of awareness. You know, awareness is something that gets polished each time uh, we use it, each time we recognize it. So the mind begins to become brighter and more peaceful and more happy, even though nothing has really changed. You know, I'm still sitting here with these painful knees and the sound of the cars and thoughts coming and going. But because all this energy is freed up from fighting it, 
um, you know, uh, something can shift. So, so this is, this is entering into the mind of non-separation. So this is uh, from a longer poem by the great poet and maybe one of the most quoted poets in, in our Dharma scene, Mary Oliver. And every time I read this poem, I feel like I catch a little bit more of, of the Dharma that, it's, that it is expressing. But see what you think. This is, this is from a longer poem, which is called The Leaf in the Cloud. Even now, I remember something. The way a flower in a jar of water remembers its life in the perfect garden. The way a flower in a jar of water remembers its life as a closed seed. The way a flower in a jar of water steadies itself, remembering itself. Long ago, the plunging roots, the gravel, the rain, the glossy stem, the wings of the leaves, the swords of the leaves, rising and clashing for the rose of the sun, the salt of the stars, the crown of the wind, the bed of the clouds, the blue dream, the unbreakable circle. Read it one more time. Even now I remember something, the way a flower in a jar of water remembers its life in the perfect garden. The way a flower in a jar of water remembers its life as a closed seed. The way a flower in a jar of water steadies itself, remembering itself. Long ago, the plunging roots, the gravel, the rain, the glossy stem, the wings of the leaves, the swords of the leaves, rising and clashing for the rose of the sun the salt of the stars, the crown of the wind, the bed of the clouds, the blue dream, the unbreakable circle. One of the definitions of mindfulness is, uh, the simple definition is to remember, you know, to keep something in mind. So when we're mindful of breathing, we're remembering the breath. We're keeping the breath in mind. So I love that she says, even now I remember something, 
you know, when we remember something, it's something we know, you know. It's not something completely alien, completely uh, foreign or new. It's to remember, we're remembering. So this practice is about remembering who we are, remembering that I'm not just this separate individual self who has my name, my clothes, my you know home, my this, my that. Um, we are that, you know, but maybe maybe if we're only that, we're like this flower that's been cut that's been cut off, that's in this jar of water on a table. You know, it looks nice, something. But um, what is it to remember that um, we're also a part of everything? We're also a part of not only the seed, the ground, but we're, we're a part of the stars, we're a part of the wind, we're a part of the sun, we're, we're this whole thing had to happen in order to produce one flower. Um, you know, so, so this is the awesome interconnectedness of life. And when we're cut off from that web of life we we forget who we are we lose ourselves um, so I love how in this poem Mary Oliver it's like she she goes from this very particular like you know this flower in a jar of water which seems so separate and delicate and Um, vulnerable, maybe, you know? I mean, how long does a flower in a jar of water last, right? Um, But to remember that it's, we are embedded in all of nature, in all of life, and to be part of this unbreakable circle, unbreakable circle. Um, And the wonderful thing about this unbreakable circle of the Dharma is that it's true whether or not we remember it. Whether or not we feel it in any one moment, you know. So I think often we go in and out of feeling like this very separate, vulnerable being, or maybe most of the time we feel that way, with moments of connection, moments of remembering. Um, But it gives me a lot of ease and a lot of comfort to know that This non-separation is the nature of things, whether or not I feel it in any moment, any particular moment. And even more than that, 
there's not one particular way of feeling non-separation. There's not one particular state that non-separation looks like, feels like. You know, maybe sometimes it feels like the beautiful, the jewel-like raindrops are, are me, are myself. But what is it to be not separate from this painful knee or this feeling of sadness or boredom or frustration? What is it to be not separate from being impatient? Um, So so I think that um, non-separation is simply the contents of our mind, the contents of our experience as they are. And to practice over and over um, entering into our life as it is. Okay, this is how it is right now. I'm upset, I'm happy, I'm rushed, I'm uh, nervous. Um, And the more we're willing to be with how things are, then all of these problems, what seem like problems, may start we may start to perceive their jewel-like nature, you know, just like the raindrops. Um, Whatever it is that we're experiencing um, can have that quality. Um, I'm not going to read this whole thing, but I have a friend who is a t- wonderful uh, Zen teacher in, in New York, Barry, Barry Majid. And he likes to, um, he likes to twist around traditional teachings to make them even more <laughs> confusing. <laughs> As if they're not confusing enough. But, you know, Sometimes we can get this idea in Dharma practice that you are not your body. And if you've ever heard that, you're not your body. It's a beautiful teaching. It's a great teaching. And I think it's, it's a teaching that is not so much an absolute truth, but it's like a kind of medicine. And it's medicine for the disease of being overly identified with our body and overly attached to our body. You know, if there's anything that we think, you know, what are you? Like, I know I'm not my car. That's silly. Um, But I'm really this body. This is who I am, you know. So there's this Dharma teaching, you know, Buddhist teaching that says, you are not your body. Your body is something that's impermanent, Right? That's changing. It's gonna, you know, any more than the flower. I mean, was a seed, was a little sprout. You know, if I'm this body, 
what was I when I was a child or as, you know, a baby? You know, you see the body change so much. Okay, so I'm not my body. Um, but my friend, he, he likes to say, I am my body. He says, I am my body, a living, breathing body with all of its physical sensations of comfort and discomfort, relaxation and tension, changing each moment with each inhalation and exhalation, dependent each moment on the air I breathe and the environment which sustains my life. So it's really saying the same thing, because I'm not my body. But it's, it's like to be willing to so fully allow this moment, inhabit this moment, um, we can say, I am my body in all of its changingness, in all of its interdependence, you know, rather than being some separate, separate thing, like a flower sitting in a, beautifully in a, in a, in a jar of water. Um, our bodies are completely connected to, you know, if we don't breathe, if we don't relate to the whole of things, you know, this body can't exist, right? Um, And so the medicine of I am my body is treating this different disease we have, which is to... um, want to separate, want to transcend, you know, who I am is really, um, you know, just, just as a, as an example, um, who I am is really the God energy of all of the universe. So this body is, I don't have to really deal with this body and cause it's, you know, it has all these problems and, and, um, you know, so um, we have that tendency too, to want to transcend, to want to separate. And um, maybe we could say in Dharma practice, it's the practice of transcending through non-separation, through connecting so fully with who and what we are, including our own impermanence. And this is what brings peace. This is what aligns us with what's true. This is what helps us to remember this unbreakable circle of being, of of continual transformation. Um, so not to not to say, no, transformation and change is something lower. I'm I'm this higher thing. It's like to fully enter into. Um, this realm of change. And then he says, you know, so we do this not only with our body, but we do this with our thinking, with our emotions, our feelings. We want to separate. We want to just hurry up, quiet down the mind so I can have some peace, (laughs) you know. And so he says, I am a whole person whose body, desires, emotions, thoughts, intentions, and awareness 
are all inseparable from my Buddha nature, all continually manifesting their inherent interdependence, impermanence, and perfection, just as they are right here and right now. So, uh, I think the great gift of this practice is it returns us to who and what we already are. We don't need to change. We don't need to fix. We don't need to become. Um, because we were part of the Dharma. We are the Dharma. And, um, but it's so easy to forget that. And um, it's so helpful to um, cultivate this mind and heart of just listening, just being. And if there's thinking that's happening, just thinking, you know, without the judgments, without the self-criticism, just breathing, just letting the mind rest right in the middle of everything. And then we, we can remember that these jewel-like drops, raindrops and drops of experience um, are, are truly our, who we are, are truly ourselves. So, oh, thank you. We have some time if uh, if anyone has comments, reflections, questions, complaints. (laughs) 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 Maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah, Uh that's just for the for for the recording. It's nice. So when you're talking, um, I am not my body, I am my body, um, a couple things. One, it reminded me of a meditation um, that Thich Nhat Hanh had in some of his books. I vaguely remember from a long time ago, and it would be breathing in, I, I see my anger, I know I'm angry, breathing out. I, and I think it was I am my anger, or which was weird for me. Anyway, I... I think what hit me strongest was that um, when my body's a sort of neutral experience, that that works okay. But and for me, who um, I've, I've done so much work on my mental well-being. I mean, I could have been in an, an asylum years ago. But um, and when I'm like really triggered, or if my body's in pain, the body or mind could be the same. Um, it's it's almost too triggering too much to say I am my body or I am my jealousy. I could say I am that among other things or sometimes I am more than this or I am not only, but just to say I am my body, if if my body's troublesome at that moment, it's like it's almost too much for me because like, my mind can go into self-pity and it can go down that rabbit hole sometimes and not quite... Um, yeah, yeah. Not quite into the the non separation that you were talking about. Yeah. Th- thank you. That makes I mean that makes perfect sense, and and it's really 
um, I love that you are using your wisdom, you know, and that's really what, you know, it's like, as I was saying, it's like any of these teachings, each of these teachings are a particular medicine for a particular situation. So sometimes we're over too much this side, so then it's really helpful. But if we're already, you know, it, you know, and, and sometimes we're on this side, and so a different a different way of of, of presenting something can be helpful. Um, and it's it's you know to say I am my body can be an expression of non-separation, but it could also be an expression of attachment. It could also be a it could also be something that's triggering and unhelpful. To say I'm not my body can be very helpful can be very freeing. It opens us up. I'm not just, especially if we're dealing with pain and difficulty in the body, it's very, very helpful to open up the awareness to remember that this physical difficulty, for example, is not the only thing that's happening. That doesn't define us. And there's all, and bring in beautiful qualities of the heart. Open up. Um, uh, one, one thing I find that's helpful is to just uh, turn to listening, you know, and I find that it's much easier to be simple and sort of uh, open in terms of sound sometimes than it is with physical sensations or thoughts. So um, beautiful, I you know that's I appreciate you bringing that, reminding us of that perspective, and there's there's no one. You know, these are just skillful means, hopefully skillful, <laughs> you know, and, and at time. And, it, and it's really up to us to find what, what is skillful right now. Is it skillful to just totally open up the awareness and just sit in the middle of everything, like I was saying? Um, it, or is it more skillful to bring some directed attention to the, bre- to the breath, to the breathing, just... That, that tends to be calming and settling. And, you know, so I, in my own meditation, I go back and forth. You know, there are times when it's really like, no, I just want to, just want to do nothing. And just, <laughs> just be here. Just be. And then there are times when it's like, um, it seems like it would be really nourishing and really helpful to just tune into the breath and give some active attention to that and just let things settle in a way and you know so um, a big part of this practice is finding what what we need in any moment and 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 also taking really good care of ourselves you know um, taking that that not um, not putting so many shoulds on what I should be doing or how, how the mind should be. Oh God, I've been meditating for all these years and I, I still blah, 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 blah. Um, so, um, yeah, to take good care of ourselves. And so many, yeah. Thank you. Can, can I ask a question? Is some of... Um, the teaching 
a way to um, I know some sometimes some of us have a tendency to kind of spiritualize away or transcend our all the whole quagmire of our messy humanity. Is some of that teaching to um, so to help us not do that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think. I mean, especially for. Um, I, I think it's very, very natural and common to have this, uh, especially when one begins a kind of spiritual practice, to have this wish to get beyond the sort of messiness of things. You know, the messiness of our mind, the messiness of life, and um, and to and to while we can honor that impulse and honor that deep wish to be free from suffering to to check it out a little bit and you know um, because because it can sometimes it can veer in to a kind of um, A denial of life, a denial of, of how things are, you know, and of course we don't want to deal with illness, for example, and we don't, you know, these are unpleasant, difficult, challenging things, but they're also expressing the Dharma. They're also the nature of how things are. So we struggle with this impulse. We want to turn away um, and protect ourselves. And sometimes that's that's wise. You know, it doesn't mean that we need to just go seek out every terrible thing in the world and just rub it in our faces and that's all there is. And, you know, no, no. But um, if we're always turning away from what's messy and what's unpleasant, then we're, 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 we're not fully um, letting ourselves... Uh, you know, be with the truth of things and how things are. So it's 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 difficult to grow in insight and wisdom um, without actually, um, you know, at some point in, in in a skillful way, you know, being able to open to some of some of the messiness, you know, and and I think the. The, the the wisdom and the skill in that is 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 almost like taking it in doses according to what our capacity is you know it doesn't do us any good to just overwhelm our system and then we go into you know a kind of whether it's a freeze a kind of a tra- traumatic freeze or we shut down um but little you know little by little being um, you know, seeing, is this okay? Is this okay to spend some time with this body in, in its, you know, in its difficulty? Um, I remember um, one of the first times I was with someone who was actively dying, and it was a friend, friend in this community, some years ago, and being sort of shocked at how unwilling I was 
to face what was happening. You know, there was a kind of mental, oh yeah, I know, this is what this sickness means, and this is what this means. And so there was a cognitive knowing of it, but there was this deep unwillingness to actually just sit. You know, I, I would sit, I'm happy to sit with my friend and talk to my friend, um, but to take in the physicality of what was happening, just right in front of my eyes, was, there, I just didn't have the capacity to do it. It was like this automatic, I don't see it. I, I don't want to see it. I didn't see that. The mind was like, no, that's okay. You know, it's, you know, there was this, and it was just so interesting to watch that and to, um, and um, I think sometimes um, it's an unwillingness to be with the messiness that other others are presenting to us. But it's also what I realized is that my friend's uh, dying was a mirror to, for me. It was reminding me of my own mortality, which I didn't feel like <laughs> thinking about or, you know, and so it, 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 it goes deep and it really, um, um, challenges us. It, it really challenges us. And so to have a lot of compassion around all of this. And I think one of the great gifts that my friend gave was not only in being so open in what his process was, but so, but so understanding and so big-hearted around all of the struggles that other people will have around us, you know. Um, and I think that, I'm guessing, that was one of the results of his own practice, that he, you know, in going through his practice and his journey, he could see how not only challenging it was for him, but how this was, uh, he was a mirror for all of us. And it, te- it was a teaching for all of us. And, and un- it's being so understanding with how each of us kind of um, struggled with it in our own way. Um, and so just having a lot of compassion around all of this. And, um, but, but where is it that we tend to turn away? Where is it that it's like, oh, I don't want to deal with this right now. I can't, you know, it's like, and just holding that, you know, with a lot of tenderness, a lot of compassion. Um, and so what I often think is that um, someone who is mature in this practice, in the Dharma practice, is not actually is that someone who's actually um, transcended impermanence? You know, it's not someone who's completely um, gone beyond impermanence, but it's someone who's at ease, who's not struggling anymore with the truth of their own impermanence. You know, so they're willing to be part of this circle part of this process and and let it just take us through the different transformations um, 
and, and what a great teaching and, te- and teacher that can be when we encounter someone who is not resisting, you know, uh, the Dharma, not resisting the truth of things, um, and not resisting their own struggles with it, not resisting their own sadness, not resisting their own, all the whole range of human feelings that come up. So that's kind of what I call the messiness of, of, of things. Maybe it's nice to tell us your name when you... Hi, my name's Indra, and I might ramble a little bit because I've been sort of thinking about this, and I don't know quite if it's a question or a statement or I just want a reflection. Um, So when I sit and I meditate here, I feel like I'm working on my observer and like somebody, like the part of me that can just sort of see everything that's coming up. It's not taking an active part and trying to like create any specific space within myself. And recently, on a whim, I took a chakra workshop. And what I was reading online is that's almost like opposite of Vipassana and insight meditation because you're trying to initiate certain things within your body and trying to create certain things. Um, But it seems to me like even when I just do yoga, like that creates a certain physical state as well. But it also seems like yoga and... The chakra was a good way to work with like the mind-body connection of like trying to initiate healing, maybe if you've stored things in your body and if things have been in there, but then that seems opposite of this teaching. And so I've just been trying to like wrestle with those things and like is there a space for it? Are they can they be compatible or are they just totally opposite? And I don't know. Yeah, yeah, no, thank you. Um I would say that they're, I would suggest that they're not, they might not be as different as they could seem. You know, and it's almost like you're, um, a little bit of what I was saying just a, a minute ago about this sort of side of, of, of awareness practice of meditation that's very open and receptive and then the side that's more active, you know. And um, at some point, maybe, the, these open, the open side, which is just kind of receiving experience, like what you talked about, the observing mind, just observing, non-interfering, letting things be, this radical letting things be. So that's the receptive side. And then the active side is some kind of doing, it might be focusing on the breath. It might be, I mean, and even in some Buddhist meditations, they focus on the breath in specific places, which they don't use the word chakra, but they're kind of energy spots and they open up certain energy channels. And, and so that's a more active thing, right? But at some point, maybe these two come together and they merge. And then to be totally open and receptive is um, and then to be sort of intentional and 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 a little more 
active is the same thing. And it's a little hard to explain, but it's, I mean, d- does it make sense? It's, a, it's almost like, it's like there, there's no, it feels like there's no other intention possible than to be fully here and to be fully, to fully let things be because they're already being, you know, the mind can't make an intention that is, you know, so it's like this merging of the two. It doesn't feel like there's any separation. So what I would say is that when you, um, when you, when you uh, meditate, notice um, what you're doing. If there's, if there's, uh, a feeling of an intuition that you to be more receptive, more open, great, go with that. And if, and if there's an impulse to be more active, that's okay too. But um, see if you can uh, notice, is it, it does, is it for the intention of cultivating more awareness, more presence, or is it for the intention of sort of avoiding something and shaping my experience to be something. Because sometimes when someone's very interested in kind of doing these really specific active practices, um, there's unconsciously or unconsciously, and I, I, I know this in myself, that's why I, there's, it's, it's kind of a strategy to not feel something that's actually there that's going to sort of bubble up when I'm just sitting and welcoming everything, you know, okay, I'm just sitting, I'm welcoming everything, the sound of the rain, but then there's this feeling of sadness, of grief. Wait a second, let me do some chakra work and let me, let me get concentrated and let me really laser in on the breath and then I can start to feel good. And then, you know, it's okay. But um, that also means that I'm not getting to know that grief. You know, and so, so some kind of balance, maybe maybe beginning a sitting with some some active uh, attention, and then opening things up. And but I think my my feeling is that for this practice, at some it it's a practice that leads to less and less doing. That's the arc of practice. You know, so to and to to land in a place of non-doing. So, so would you even say like the non-doing would be not even trying to focus on your breath, but just being here? Yeah, that, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, something like that. Just totally being here. And, and the breath will be there, right? Because there's breath. Breath is happening at some point. You'll notice the breath. You'll notice things. But to just let ourselves totally be is... I mean, in one, it's funny because in one sense it's like, okay, that's, that's how a Buddha is someone completely liberated. And in another sense, what could be, I mean, how can we not be, (laughs) right? You know, we're always being. Yeah, but it seems like we're always trying to manipulate our experiences as well. Even if it's just like, oh, I'm focusing on my breath, or oh, I'm going to do this like chakra workshop, or oh, I'm going to 
take this medication or whatever it is. Exactly, exactly. So when we can just relax that, you know, trying, that manipulation of experience, what's right there is this pure being, you know. Where else could it be? <laughs> you know, so, so, so it's like doing less and less is doing less and less of that, you know, manipulating that tends to separate us. You know, it, it's, tr- it, it's because there's protection in separation. If I, if I, you know, if, if I um, lock my doors and close the shades and do all these things and turn on my alarm system and I'm protected, I'm, I'm separate, I have this safe space, right? And um, so just to notice all these impulses to separate, to protect, to improve. And the less and less we um, feed that, the more this simple way of being can just emerge. So does that... that yeah, that's good. Help, yeah. I could go on and on, but so, <laughs> so yeah, and and it's, I and I would encourage you explore all of these things. There's, there's nothing wrong with um, concentration practice or chakra practice or anything like that. Explore it, but just with with awareness, with mindfulness, and then let yourself return to just listening, just being, just. So enjoy this rain, rainy day, and uh, thank you. Really nice to be with you. Thank you. <laughs>